Welcome to Refocus. I'm your host, Trevor Wilson. This is a podcast of Sunday school lessons that I've taught, some sermons that I have preached. Uh, I have various guests at different times. Uh, Basically, the, the whole idea is to just kind of refocus back on the Word of God, going back to those Bible stories, studying the scriptures. Let's just, just kind of get out of ourselves, out of our own thinking, and go back to the Word of God and see what He has to say. I love those old Sunday school lessons when we were kids. We seem to have gotten away from some of those, just the bare bones bottom of what the Word of God, the meat and potatoes, if you will. So I hope you enjoy it and pass along and share. Now, let's get to the lesson. Hello, we are back again. This is Steve Wilson. Once again, continuing our journey through the book of Matthew, and we are in chapter 22. We have progressed down through verse 14. We're going to pick up today in verse 15. Um, Jesus, of course, we're still on Monday, by the way. Um, Jesus has already managed to alienate the hierarchy. Um, he's, uh, he's, of course, come in through the, the trial, triumphal entry. Um, he began you know, cleansing in the temple, turning the hierarchy against him. He begins talking about the fig tree where he starts uh, to push a new theology. He is uh, attacked the spiritual leaders back in chapter 21. Um, And now here in chapter 22, um, he has introduced this kingdom of heaven, which, by the way, is Matthew is... uh, uses this term exclusively. You don't see that in any of the other Gospels or any of the other books of the Bible anywhere. Um, But uh, it's a Jewish term, uh, kind of specifically directed toward them. And um, he begins to speak about the, the kingdom of heaven, and he has just described a kingdom of heaven that is foreign to these uh, to these leaders to the Jewish leadership, because it's you know they they're beginning to hear things that they're realizing does not include them. He's beginning to of course to expose their flaws, expose their expose their line of thinking, and um, you know of course they're hearing him say things that say you're not going to make it. Basically, that's what it's coming down to. So then he begins to. Uh, uh, kind of dig at the various groups of this hierarchy. Because you notice in verse 15 it says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. So the Pharisees particularly here, and then down in verse 23, he begins to attack the Sadducees. But right now he's going after the Pharisees. He's directing his attention toward them particularly um, in his response to this question they're going to ask him in a few minutes here. But it says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Um, so, you know, the, the Pharisees have had, they've heard enough, 
And but you know their problem is they know that the you know they're still he has a lot of supporters, um, and uh, you know they're afraid really to confront him. So what you know their their uh, strategy is to try and get him to say or do something that would turn people against him, so they can get you know sway the people over to their side. Um, and so they begin to try to come up with some way to trip him up, and they come up with this question that they're going to ask him. Um, in, in verse 16, though, I want you to notice something else just before we get to that. It says, And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians. The Herodians have teamed up with the Pharisees here. Now, the Herodians were Jewish, um, the well-to-do. They kind of made a—they had influence, let's say it that way. They weren't necessarily Pharisees, although the Pharisees had some Herodian uh, uh, distinctives or characteristics about them. But generally speaking, of course, they opposed the Romans— they were the ones looking for Jesus to come and be this this uh, military savior that would deliver them from the Roman rule. Um, but the Herodians were um, the the well-to-do, successful Jewish people who were in support of the the Herodian government. You know, after King Herod, um, and you know they were compromisers. They decided that they could use this if they would kind of suck up, I guess is, a, is the term I'm looking for, to the Herodians, it would benefit them and they, they could be um, exalted, uh, promoted, you know, blessed, whatever, favored, that sort of thing. They were using it for basically monetary gain, positional gain. So the, the Pharisees and the Herodians, while there was some of that, the Pharisees would, would do it to, to some degree out of necessity because, you know, they were, they, they were subject to the Roman rule. The Herodians do it, did it for personal gain. So, so they normally didn't have a whole lot of agreement between the two of them. But now, you know, they have this one common denominator. They want to get rid of Jesus Christ. He has now begun to expose them. And, you know, through what he's done up until this point, they know he's got a pretty big following. And so they're willing to team up with people they normally wouldn't have a whole lot to do with in order to try and get rid of this Jesus character. Um, and so they come to him and they, they start off by um, trying to butter him up. You know, they're, they're, they're addressing him in a manner that does not really describe how they really feel about him, but you know they're 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 trying to get him to, uh, uh, to I guess sort of trust him. You know they're they're trying to get on his good side so they can ask him this question, and and they're thinking is that they he won't see it coming. So and uh, so they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true. And uh, thou, art, um, thou art true, and teacher, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. In other words, they're saying we know, you know, you're you're steadfast. You you stick to what you believe. You stand up for what you believe. You, you're not afraid 
to say what you think. And so here's what we want to know. They say in verse 17, tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? And here's their question. And this is a question that uh, they're put together that they think is going to trip him up. Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Now, it's supposed to be a trick question. Because if he supports Rome, then he's, he's you know, if he says, yeah, you, you owe this money to Caesar, pay the tariff, then obviously the people are not going to like that. But, you know, so hopefully then, you know, his following will deteriorate. On the other hand, if he says something and says, no, you shouldn't pay tariff to the Romans, well, now he's in violation of Roman law. And so he can get in trouble there. So, you know, they think they've got him trapped so that no matter what he answers, um, it's not going to turn out well. In verse 18, but Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why tempt me? You hypocrites. So, first of all, Jesus sees through it. You're not, you're not going to trick Jesus. And folks, let me just say that whatever you're doing in life, He sees your heart. He knows where you're come from, coming from. He knows what you're doing. You can't, you can't fool Jesus. You can't trick Jesus. You can't put one over on Jesus. Let me just say, you're either going to accept Him as your personal Savior or you're not. There's no in-between, okay? You can't play games with Jesus because notice his response. He says, why tempt me, ye hypocrites? Now, Jesus is calling them names. He's calling them hypocrites. Now, let me clarify, though. You know, we can't, as Christians, it's not our practice to address people in a derogatory manner. Um, and, you know, to call somebody a snake in the grass or a crook or anything like that, that's just not Christian-like. And I agree that, you know, that it's bad testimony and people say we shouldn't do that and we shouldn't. Um, however, you can identify people for who they are. Jesus did that on more than one occasion and even resorted, you know, just previously we talked about where he threw people out of the temple uh, for doing things they shouldn't do there. You can identify people for who they are. Just make sure it's factual. Make sure you have a basis for it and don't do it out of disdain or hatred or or political gain or anything of that nature. Be honest, be truthful, um, be to the point, um, and, and make it accurate. Um, just to call somebody a name for name's sake, that's, that's not the way Christians should behave. But there's nothing wrong with identifying somebody as who they are. Um, if someone is a criminal, you know, you can refer to them by their criminal act or what they've done. You know, they're guilty, and there's nothing wrong with that. And spiritually, there's nothing wrong with identifying something, someone who is in opposition to Christ or in opposition to the things of God. There's, there's not anything wrong with that. But I have no problem talking about some of these word of faith preachers and, and prosperity preachers and that sort of thing, call them charlatans because that's what they are. I'm not doing it just to come up with a bad name to make them look bad. I'm doing it to identify exactly what they're doing. And so I have no problem calling them a charlatan. So anyway, if you're going to call names, you know, make it a true title. It's not just a name for namesake. 
make it a, a title that they deserve. So his response is in verse 19, show me the tribute money. And they brought it unto him a penny. So, you know, they brought some change to him and he saith unto him, whose is this image and superscription? They say unto them Caesar's. So they get a Roman coin, which is the money of the day. That's what they're using. Um, that's what they're pursuing when they're buying and selling. And, and he says... And saith unto him, unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. See, here's here's what he's pointing out. He's saying, You've already blurred the lines between the godly and the worldly. You know, you're pursuing worldly goods. You're pursuing this worldly wealth. When you're talking about money here, um, He's, he's basically pointing to them and saying your love of money is your problem. You've already sold out to the Romans, so, you know, why are you asking me this question? He says, you know, you give to God what belongs to God. You give to Rome what belongs to Rome. Now, you know, when you put that into today's terms, I know people talk about taxation and tithing and things like that and how tight money is and all that sort of thing. The fact is, God is never going to penalize you for giving to Him what belongs to Him. Um, and, you know, you, you owe God first. Let me just say that because when God asks for it, He has a reason for it. And, and God is going to make it to where you can give to Him what you should give to Him. God's not going to ask for the stuff that you don't have. The problem with people is we overcommit ourselves. We overbuy, you know, we get ourselves in debt, and then we say we don't have any money. Well, it's because of the choices we've made. Um, you know, and then we try to find ways around it and find ways out of it and try to justify using God's money to pay for the things that we want or God's money you know, to pay our taxes, and are we overtaxed, you know? Nobody likes to pay taxes. There's, that's, that's no, that's, there's no doubt there. And I think, you know, personally, we probably are. But the bottom line is this. Whatever the situation, you can't take what belongs to God and then give it to someone else. And that's what the, the, the Pharisees have done in their lifestyle. They have already sold out. To the things of Rome and to the Roman lifestyle and, and, and the things, you know, in the position that they're in, um, they're using it. And, and so Jesus is, that's why he's calling them a hypocrite. He says, you're trying to trip me up in a spiritual matter and you're not spiritual. Um, so it says, when they heard, uh, when they had heard these words in verse 22, they marveled and left him. And went their way. So they knew that they weren't going to get over on him. They knew that he was too smart for them. Um, they weren't going to be able to trick him. Um, and so they basically just decided, you know, we're going to punt here. And we're going to come back after you another day. Notice they didn't, they didn't give in to him. They didn't really hear what he said. They didn't accept his description of who they were, obviously. They simply said, okay, we lost this battle. We're going to come back later and maybe we'll win the war. And that's, you know, I'm afraid that's what a lot of people do. We, we think that, that uh, okay, so, 
God, you got this one, but, but I'm going to keep living my life because I still think I'm right. Regardless of what you've shown me, regardless of who you are, the fact is I still think I'm right, and I'm going to do my thing. So, you know, I, that's, that's the way I see these verses here. We're down through 22. We'll come back and talk about the Sadducees in verse 23 next time in our next lesson. So uh, hope everything goes well with you. Hope you're getting something out of this. Goodbye and God bless.